Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Friday night edition of the show. The Golden State Warriors are champions in blowout fashion over the Cleveland Cavaliers 108 to 85. Kevin Durant back-to-back finals MVPs. He finished with 20 points, a triple-double, and a well-earned plus 30 in this game. Team best. Steph Curry, 37 points. A little bit of gunning late, 7 of 15 from 3, and a bounce-back effort. He maybe could have been the MVP if he hadn't had just such a stinker overall in Game 3, but it is Kevin Durant. LeBron James, 23 points in 41 minutes. 7 to 13 for the field, 8 assists was revealed to have been playing with a severely contused hand after punching a whiteboard after game one. And he expressed his frustration, basically saying that he thought some of the calls had taken the game away and they had all those other issues. Um, We can talk more about that a little bit. I don't think that it made the difference in this series. Maybe Cleveland wins game three with a better effort from him. And he certainly was still really good, but he wasn't just the absolutely dominating transcendent player that he was. Uh, through his first three rounds and a game of the season so the Warriors have now won three out of four championships the last two with Kevin Durant in tow where do you want to start here as someone who uh, has observed this run very closely over these last few years well it was kind of interesting and in a strange way appropriate how anticlimactic this was like because the I was thinking about it going through and I mean obviously the most the most big closeout game of these four was the one that Cleveland won game seven unbelievable game but also went down to the last shot and this wasn't that and it it was a very unusual season but not all that surprising when you consider the overall context it's very very hard for a team to make it to four straight NBA finals something both of these franchises did which is pretty amazing and throughout the regular season there was this big question that you and I talked about a lot on this show on the Twitter NBA show and in person about whether they really had that defensive mojo or whether it was just age you know especially with Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala and the answer we got on the defensive end seemed to be a pretty definitive yes they still had it and so what I'm going to be really interested in as we move forward this was far more relevant against Houston than against the Cavs due to their differing defensive strengths but I'm interested in where this team goes offensively. They've been historic over the last couple of years. And so they didn't face the same kind of challenge in the finals other than game one. But that's the nature of having a historically great team. Yeah, I think last year's team to me was way better than this year's team. And this year's team, you know, with Iguodala getting hurt in game three against Houston, you know, maybe we would be talking about this team on the same level if he just hadn't gotten hurt. But they did overcome that. They also got that Chris Paul injury. So that was pretty big, whether the Rockets would have won if they had had Paul still, difficult to say. But the idea that, you know, no one can touch this team, I think that those, I mean, we'll see what kind of reinforcements they get this year. 
but i think just it really more about those top four guys all being you know going to start declining just a little bit here and same thing with with Iguodala you know I think next year I, I may have said this before would be the first year that I probably will pick the field over Golden State this year I would have picked Golden State over the field to win the championship and obviously last year as well but they will very likely be the favorites unless maybe lebron james ends up in houston that's really the only way i could i could see it or unless something just absolutely crazy happened with the lakers but yeah i mean i think the amount of adversity that they did overcome this year i mean oh yeah they've got four all-stars blah blah like uh, the fact that curry and thompson could play so poorly in game three and yet they still were able to put up a 118 offensive rating and win because kd was so good I, I understand that but you know if we had kind of an average strength finals team going up against them i think it would have been much more difficult for them than this Cavs team and this Cavs team was flawed other than the raptors who won 59 games and just for whatever reason had this huge block against the Cavs and just don't play well in the playoffs you know they didn't really beat any elite teams in the east playoffs and so it was a great accomplishment for lebron to drag these guys here but you know they were overmatched and i think everyone realized that coming in i think this is our first final sweep since 2007 actually which also was lebron uh and a similarly talent challenged cavalier team um should we talk a little bit about where this golden state run ranks to, from a historical perspective at this point well i want to do more digging on it myself but i mean preliminarily it is the best record postseason record in a four-year span in nba history it is i believe the most regular season wins in nba history over a four-year span and remember it's been a long time since expansion so this is not a diluted league where you know they're they're beating up on these nascent teams that said there are some pretty bad teams in the league but that's different than expansion so i mean it's up there and I like to think of it just because I find this more interesting in terms of like the most talented team. And I, I, I think there is an argument to be made that the 2016-17 Warriors are, are the greatest compilation of talent that has ever been assembled in NBA history. Yeah, that that might be the greatest to, team in NBA history. I mean, they're especially when healthy that year like, and then going through 16-1 and one in the playoffs, winning their first 15, although obviously the Kawhi Leonard injury had something to do with that. But, but any of these sure. other teams that had similar luck along the way, to be sure. Right. And so, I mean, they're they're in that conversation. They are an unquestioned dynasty. However, you're going to define it three and four counts. I mean, that's just the way it is. And they the one they lost, they had 73 wins, and that whole season was definitive for a different reason. So that's an accomplishment. And it is there has been a lot of turnover over that time, largely due to the cap space they had to clear to get Kevin Durant in the first place but they're a historic unit and it'll be very interesting I mean there a lot of people try to do legacy talk and and all those conversations at the time but the truth of the matter and this is for me more growing up a football and baseball fan is that you lose a lot of that context over time. It's really 10 years, 15 years down the road that those talks really happen. And so a lot of the injuries, a lot of the, you know, to to that team or their opponents, or, you know, obviously the Durant thing is going to be the Durant thing, but a lot of those things kind of wash away. And so people fixate on it in the immediate of the, oh, this guy was hurt. Oh, that guy was hurt. Well, those things count, you know, the Warriors very, very reasonably could say that they could say that they wouldn't have won. Like you could say they wouldn't have won a championship this year. If Chris Paul doesn't get hurt. Certainly an argument to be made there, but that's just the nature of the NBA. It's an endurance race. It's a battle of attrition and everything else. So it's, it's yeah. a remarkable accomplishment. And they had guys hurt, like, like Steph Curry. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think people have talked enough about, you know, he didn't win finals MVP. We talked about that a little bit, but 
to play at a level that was certainly at a finals MVP later level. He just had someone who was even greater than him on his team. I mean, I can't think of a, another time when a player has missed almost a, a month and a half and then just come back in the middle of the playoffs and be able to refine that level of form. You know, I mean, he he was well, and we haven't we didn't even talk about the fact that he was uh, you know missed all this time and he had to just get it back during the playoffs. Like, play, that generally doesn't happen. The other one that is already falling by the wayside is Clay Thompson has been playing pretty damn hurt for this entire series. I mean, he had what looked like a catastrophic leg injury like five minutes into game one. It ended up not being that, you know, he ended up still playing through the series. I, I bet we'll find out about like really the full extent of that at some point. You know, obviously Guadala's whole issue and that's playoff basketball. I wish that weren't the case. I wish we could flip injuries off for it. Sure. That, I think everybody would. But that's a part of the story now. It's a part of it before. There's no real way for the NBA to work around it. And it's not like they, you know, other than 2015, they have been extraordinarily, well, I guess they were lucky in 17, but they would have run pretty cleanly through everybody. Anyway, maybe Spurs take a couple games, but like, I mean, so you appreciate that for what it is, but you want to talk about MVP? I I don't find it too sexy, but we could talk about it a little bit. Well, I do want to hit one other thing, since you're on the subject of injuries, obviously this LeBron hand injury, it did affect the series. It seems he was seven of 14 on jumpers in game one and only four of 14 on jumpers the entire rest of the way so he was not looking to take the jump shot the Warriors were playing him you know it wasn't like he had all these chances to pull up I think the Warriors helped to take away the jump shot to some degree but he he definitely wasn't looking for it as much and then I thought even more significantly perhaps the ankle injury that he suffered in the first half of game three he really looked like he didn't have anywhere close to his usual explosion after that I thought pretty much every contested layup that he took in this game he missed and you know he was stopping and like pump faking to draw fouls around the room you just don't see that from him normally you know he's playing just a much more controlled game and I think between the eye thing between this hand thing which admittedly is self-inflicted between that contusion that he suffered uh, in game six of the Celtics series when Nance fell into him it was pretty incredible how he still managed for everyone who's like oh it's just LeBron all he does is he just you know he overpowers guys he's so much better physically like his physicality was compromised at various points in these playoffs and he still managed to put up a, a very solid line and we saw just how miserable Cleveland was offensively in the second half in this game 13 points in the third and then 14 points during the competitive portion of the fourth quarter to the extent it was competitive um and when he wasn't just having that unbelievable game you see how limited this team was going up against this Warriors defense so yeah we can talk MVP now actually now here let's do a read first from our friends at, at Sonos who have revolutionized the way I've been watching TV we've been watching a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation, Lord of the Rings. I watched the new Star Wars movie the other day. I've actually been watching a lot more movies lately just because the sound quality is so good. And I used their up and running service where they actually, if you live in a major metropolitan area, they will come to your house and actually install it for you. And the sound quality is so good because they actually like take a smartphone around the room, listen to the speaker, and then the speaker is able to adjust based on what it sounds like in the room. So you you make sure that wherever you're sitting in the room, you get awesome sound. Also using the Sonos One to control music with uh, voice commands, which is great when you have company over and you want to just throw something on without being buried in your phone. The speakers are very easy to set up. I, I watched them very carefully while they did it. 
But as I said, if you use that up and running service, they'll just do it all for you. Anyway, you order from Sonos.com, you select up and running at checkout if you qualify. Sonos, of course, is offering a special deal to Dunked On listeners. You can get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. Use the promo code DUNK10, different promo code here than the usual, DUNK10, D-U-N-C-1-0 at sonos.com this offer is available for a limited time only cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions once again 10 percent off one order of 2500 dollars or less for any product on sonos.com with that code dunk 10 d-u-n-c-1-0 let them know that you came from us with that dunk 10 code you agree with the mvp selection i think it was a pretty close call but I think that what gets lost in this, especially when we're talking about valuable, I mean, certainly Kevin Durant was spectacular in game three. That was that was the best performance of any warrior in this series. But just like was the case in 2015 when Curry deserved the MVP and didn't get it, I think a lot of the value that he provides to the team by the attention that he draws and the way the offense runs through him can get lost in the shuffle when he is not scoring. And there is certainly an argument that especially when he's engaged on defense, that Kevin Durant is the best player. You know, he could, he had some really nice help defensive plays, especially in the last two games, and he was better rebounding after the debacle at the end of game one. But if we're going to define it in terms of value, I guess I would have Curry slightly ahead. But again, it's, it's pretty close to a dead heat this year. And so for me... I don't know. I guess Ty goes to the person who I think is more important overall, and that will be Curry. Yeah, I think it's a a little unfair because of all the controversy in game one that Curry's clutch performance in that game was lost. I mean, you remember he had that huge and one to actually put the Warriors up um, after they were down two. And then he had a nice overtime as well. He was pretty good down the end of that game. And KD was awful in game one, but on both ends, I thought, uh, particularly defensively, although you know he did have the LeBron assignment but his defense was a big reason why LeBron put up 51 in that game um you know I I thought Curry was the better player in three of the four games but then his game two was or his game three was just so bad the three out of 16 that it was difficult and KD probably gave more defensive value but also Curry I thought had a really nice defensive series as he did against the Rockets as well I mean the number of times that you know LeBron just like took advantage of Curry there were a few of those times you know and part of that was because they had Tristan Thompson on the floor they just didn't have the level of spacing uh and there was no Kyrie Irving to worry about either but well and also remember that they were giving Clay less dangerous assignments for a lot of this series especially in game game one and game two because he was coming back from that injury they had him off George Hill which is usually who Clay would be guarding if he had been full strength yeah well in any event I think if I had a vote I would have voted for Curry in part just because and it's very rare that I would do this I mean I, I think it was pretty close to a dead heat I certainly understand voting for KD the, the voting ended up being seven to four in favor of KD but I would do it just for like the legacy purposes which seems kind of weird to, to say but especially because he got robbed in 2010 or I'm sorry in 2015 I thought that that was, was pretty unfair but you know it, it is it's funny I think part of what hurts him in these series is that like he'll have one really bad game like that in some ways is like the nature of just his game he takes a lot of threes he takes a lot of difficult shots there's gonna be one game in there where he just doesn't play well but that really seems like sour people on him like in in 2015 it was that game two when he was like six out of 23 and they ended up losing in overtime you know if it hadn't been for that game he probably wins it in 2015 so that he always kind of has this one game and you know no one is gonna be like oh but he's still a great gravity in that game even though you know he's probably the best 
if you had to pick one guy in your in NBA history to have on your team, but you know that he's going to go three for sixteen in the game, he would probably be the guy. But you know that's not the way these these things kind of work. So um, ultimately, I I would have gone with Curry. I think that he you know has been a good enough player that he should have that on his resume. As I mentioned, I didn't agree with the Iguodala one in twenty fifteen, uh, but Kevin Durant is certainly a worthy choice. And it's not it's not like Steph Curry didn't play well. I mean, he played at a higher level than many a finals mvp in the past it's just that he also had kevin durant on it yeah i don't really have much else to add there any other kind of takeaways from this game i thought that one thing that was notable is that no Cavs really had a, a strong performance. I mean, there were players that had little stretches, but nobody really stood out. I mean, we talked about LeBron struggles, and he was certainly, you know, he he had a, a solid game, but it wasn't a LeBron, you know, LeBron spectacular or anything like that. And, you know, that that certainly made it harder for them to come out with a win, but they weren't going to win this. They weren't going to win this game. When the Warriors were engaged defensively and had that 13-3 to lead early on, you're like, okay, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, you felt like Cleveland's only chance in this one was to get a big lead early and in fact it was golden state cleveland came back a couple of times that were able to take brief leads but uh, other than that the warriors seemed to be in control most of the way led by nine at halftime that i thought the biggest shot of the game was curry at the end of the first half steve kerr takes a timeout to get him back in because uh they're worried about foul trouble with him he slips the screen he's got lebron on him lebron knew exactly what they're running he slips the screen gets open pump fakes just enough to get lebron's hands down and then actually shoots it over him for the three to give him a nine point lead i think that took a lot of the air out of cleveland at the end of the half um i mean lebron messing up his hand to the point where it affects his performance by hitting the whiteboard like that's pretty sorry uh it's a shame that that happened but i mean to get that bent out of shape it seemed like mostly because of the refs and then a teammate's mistake and you know they they had like the viral video of him just sitting there and like you know not interacting with his teammates after the jr gaff which by the way i said i've said this on twitter i did not say it on the show that the Cavs were better off from that gaff than if jr just never gets the offensive rebound because if he doesn't get the the offensive rebound then golden state has a chance to win it in regulation at least he got the offensive rebound and took the possession away from golden state even if you know he obviously made a, a huge blunder afterwards it's still the entire sequence overall was positive but like you know it was funny that jr makes this great play to get the rebound then makes a dumb play after that and it was like so deflating to cleveland i thought you know lebron can be a little bit difficult to play with sometimes you know people always talk about what a great leader he is but he's moody and, and this was certainly an example of that of like I and mean, what are you thinking if you're lebron's teammate in that huddle and he's just utterly despondent like you're not it, it, and you saw they came out and played in the overtime you know there's the idea that you know the game was over i mean it seemed like that he was just so upset and then so upset after the game you know like they had a chance still to win the game in overtime so it was i mean i'm not going to kill lebron i think he with this playoffs you know at some point we'll have to do a reassessment of whether he or jordan is the greatest player of all time but uh he has made that a conversation and he's still you know at 33 playing at probably a higher level than jordan was playing at at 33 which is amazing to think about it because jordan probably has the best longevity other than maybe kareem of any player in nba history so uh, i'm not a lebron hater by any means but you know i do think that he can kind of the team takes their cue from him in some respects with the drama with the defensive effort with the not trying in the regular season and, and then with things like this you know and then breaking his hand i mean that's just you know there have been other players who've done that like larry bird famously suffered this nebulous hand injury for maybe getting into a bar fight in the 1985 finals and didn't play well after that 
but you know that's kind of sorry like he, he he should be better than that like that is a big mistake and it really hurt his team's chances of winning and that's something that he's gonna have to own there are certain characteristics that i just expect to see in a lebron james team moving forward a lot of that informed by this season and i wonder how that roller coaster ride is going to play out if it is somewhere other than cleveland i mean you think about what happened this year where they just i mean some of it was personnel but they were just flat on defense the entire regular season and it they were better certainly in the playoffs than they were in the regular season but they had the good fortune of facing teams that weren't really suited to take advantage of their their foibles enough like if boston had Kyrie or or gordon hayward i think they would have had a much better you know go of it i think they would have won that series and you know, things not working out and LeBron being a, a factor in them effectively turning over half the team at the trade deadline, you know, that that that's going to happen, I think, at moments in time. And the juice is worth the squeeze with LeBron James because he's still the best. I, I think he's still the best player in the world when he's engaged. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens with his defense. I thought his defense overall was very yeah. disappointing well, in these it, finals. It would be nice if but, he didn't have to be the best defensive player on the team anymore. That might be nice. Right. Right. And and he will have the opportunity to ensure that is not the case, should he choose to prioritize that over the other many things he could prioritize. But I'm really fascinated to see where this goes and to see what he takes away from these four years in Cleveland. And I, I watched a little bit of his uh, podium post game, and he talked about, you know, playing with smart players and all this stuff about kind of like why he left for Miami. Yeah, he's really been harping so pretty on amazing. That. Yeah. And so I wonder about, you know, with, with LeBron... I, I, as somebody who has talked with him a couple times before, he understands the way that his words are analyzed and construed and everything else. So I wonder where this is going for him. I'm sure he has some thoughts already. And also, I want to express my deep, both self-interested and not self-interested hope that he can decide faster than like 10 days into July because oh, don't I am worry. Not, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully uh, sports my sports business classroom students are uh, hoping he decides faster because uh, hopefully I could be uh, engaged in that instead of like having to worry about like all the signings that happened, like 97 signings in one day like back in 2014. But we have a lot, we can talk much more about LeBron's future going forward we'll do a Cavs offseason preview at some point same for the Warriors but um last thing I wanted to say here about Golden State I believe that this is the greatest four-year stretch that any team had in NBA history since the Russell Celtics and that was just such a different era and I might even just because the Warriors have dominated so much in the regular season and then their point differential in the play and their point differential in the playoffs this year was awesome too right i mean i don't know where it ended up but i think they had over a 10 net rating in the playoffs this year you know that would be another like probably top five playoffs in terms of net rating i think they had the highest ever last year um you know 2015 was not as dominant but they had you know an, an all-time great regular season that year had the 73 wins obviously in the year that they didn't win it you do make a little bit of a delineation between the first two years and the second two years because of adding Kevin Durant but uh, you know it's hard to say like oh those are the same Warriors in 2015 as they are now but a lot of the things are the same Draymond Green the switching the, the beautiful system that they run uh but yeah I mean this is if I would be hard pressed to point out a better four year stretch in NBA history than this one. I mean, yeah. So I just went I just went back through so the Warriors ended up with a plus eleven point four net rating this year. In the and playoffs. That is in the playoffs. The, right? in the playoffs. Yeah in the playoffs that is the fourth best net rating in the playoffs over the last decade number one being the Warriors last year two is 
I believe I believe it was the Spurs the year that they won the, yeah, the, the title over Miami. 14. And then interestingly, the other one was a team that didn't win the championship. That was the Dwight Howard Magic. Yeah, that team just dominated the first two rounds. And then, uh, and I think they even won their two games against the Celtics in like relative blowouts. That was a weird series. They went down 3-0, won two in a row, and then lost uh, game six on the road. But yeah, I mean, the only other stretches that would come to mind and for a four-year stretch obviously there's the three-peats from the lakers uh but then on the years on either side of that they didn't make it to the finals the bulls you know maybe you could say 1990 they got to game seven of the conference finals and then they won three in a row uh from 91 to 93 but they had pretty difficult playoff runs in 92 and 93 you know you might look at the spurs from 03 to 07 uh, but they lost in the second round in 20, 2004 and 2006, even though they had maybe the best regular season team both of those years. That Heat team that made it to the finals four straight years, you could look at that too. But they really weren't close to winning in 2014, really only had one dominating regular season during that period. So I, I would put that below this team. Um, you know, the second three-peat Bulls, again, you know, you have to bring in the 95 season when they lost in the second round. The Lakers from 85 to 88 won three out of four championships, but lost in five to the Houston Rockets in 1986 in the conference finals. The Celtics from 84 to 87 only won two titles, uh, but did make it to four straight finals. So yeah, I mean, it, when you combine regular season and postseason dominance certainly the Warriors have as good a case of anybody and I think when you combine those two you'd probably have to put them highest especially when you look at the 73 wins and losing in game seven of the finals in the one year that they didn't I think that's as good a place as any to end and we have some other fun topics to talk about oh yeah <laughs> speaking of dealing with the consequences of actions although how much of them were his perhaps will never be known Brian Colangelo has been fired. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday since we extended the week out to do this show today with Game 4 today. I thought the statements were interesting. The Sixers, uh, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, and 97 other names law firm concluded basically that they could not show affirmatively that Colangelo did any of the posting from the five accounts. You know, he admitted to the one which didn't post at all, but then uh, it, they did conclude that his wife was involved with some of, of the accounts, though, and, and I guess all of them. However, she did a factory reset of her iPhone before handing it over to them. So that significantly complicated the investigation. A lot of times in a legal proceeding, if you hide, if you destroy evidence, you are then in the discovery process, you then have a sanction against you of basically a finding of fact that, you know, would be negative. It's just assumed that whatever that evidence is would have gone against you. And I think that's uh, the fact that she factory reset her phone might be a pretty good indicator. There is still also unexplained even under this idea that oh she was acting alone is the fact that when the philly organization was told about two of the five twitter accounts that the other three went private immediately the only explanation that might save brian colangelo there is he because he apparently mentioned a lot of stuff to his wife mentioned this hey you know this is really weird like uh, i can't believe this happened and she was like oh shit i better like make these private 
Um, well, and if so, remember that his original statements made it sound like he knew nothing about what was going on. And right. so that gets a little bit dicey, too, where like so you inform somebody and then you don't hear them go like, oh, those are mine or something like that. That that would be problematic, too. Yeah. I mean, the fact the fact that like his wife didn't come clean with that. And, you know, you can say, ah, you know, everyone talks to their wife, you know, like this is I, I mean, now number one they made the right decision to fire him we were saying that since day one on this because it just it's better for the organization to move on from him right that's obvious but now if we're talking about this ah you know it's not really fair to him because you know we all tell our wives stuff and like well yeah we might but we all don't marry someone who's dumb enough to post all this stuff right and and then and not only that but then apparently in the best possible interpretation to him like lied about what she was doing even after she was exposed and it doesn't have to be fair I, I don't understand, like, when you are in a, a, and this is something I've dealt with in non-sports context, if you are in a position of power, what people around you do can matter, and it, and you know what, in 99.99% of circumstances, those people know it too. So even if it wasn't Colangelo, you know, that that's, them's the breaks. You know, like, you, there are these expectations yeah. on everybody involved. You, and you, you exercise you, judgment in who you tell this information to if you're gonna do it you damn well better be sure it's not somebody who's gonna go like post shit on twitter yeah and it's the burden is a lot lower now it's a lot easier to get stuff out there you know like it's not like burner ravens or snail mail (laughs) or something like it used to be but that isn't an excuse You, you the the threshold of of candor of, of whatever else is is still high and you know it, it takes the family if you as, as you said whoever you share this information with you have to trust it and it's unfortunate if it really if he wasn't a bad actor in any of it but that's pretty irrelevant and now the sixers get to find a new general manager there they gave the temporary power to brett brown and so i had these first of all i was worried because there is not a good rock divers with him considering wait, wait can i the, oh yeah because it's, it's an alliteration can, can i finish up on, yeah. on clangelo real quick though before we sure talk about sure of the, course the sixers going forward um also recall that he claimed in a text message to jordan schultz that he was being set up uh no don't think you were i mean unless he was just talking about whoever revealed this which will perhaps forever remain a mystery but you know it, it was his wife if he couldn't have realized that by that point and, and he just you know again it's like it once you make the decision to share any confidential information with anyone you own the consequences of that decision and it's like oh yeah maybe his wife shouldn't have done this fine but like he's the one who made the, de- the decision to share the information with someone now his statement afterwards i thought was uh very colangelo-esque let's put it that way uh in just its tone deafness they had these rabbit ears they were terrible managing the media in part because they're so worried about what people thought the whole time it seems like uh but he basically said i never recklessly shared any information that's what the the paul weiss statement said uh i vigorously dispute that characterization well how did she find out about it then was she like uh, like bodner said this on his pod today is she like having a conversation with mark eversley or ned cohen and getting it from there all of this stuff um so that's number one you know just kind of throwing his wife under the bus i mean what he should have said was uh i did not post those tweets they do not reflect my views which they probably do reflect his views because i'm guessing she got it from somewhere but nonetheless that's what you would say is they don't reflect my views but i take full responsibility for what happened and i've learned my lesson and blah blah like he's never gonna get a gm job again maybe he could get some consultant role or something like that uh 
but like that's what you say here is you take responsibility instead of basically like throwing your wife under the bus and saying well we 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 do have to work through this like my wife made a mistake no nah, you made a mistake too here man like and clearly he was discussing these matters with her with a vehemence that like informed her tweeting that's that's one part another part is it's still not even clear that part of it wasn't him or that there wasn't someone else in the calangelo family as well because you know some of these tweets were like referencing like mark aguirre back in the 80s like uh, i am skeptical that his what and, and had like a very different tone as well also like some of the eric jr tweets were like said posted from android and she had an iphone so that's uh certainly some interesting circumstantial evidence there as well so uh, the whole thing is oh, crazy yeah let me say one other thing and again this is an if true statement yeah if the speculation that is out there that Jerry Colangelo tried to put his thumb on the scale. Well, well that, and, that is not, I mean, that is not speculation. That is reported by multiple sources to Kyle Newman. Okay, so if that's there, he has to be fired. There is no, because if you are trying to, if you are so biased that you want to influence the process when somebody who should be fired in all other circumstances other than that they are your project well, it wasn't just putting his thumb on you, the scale it wasn't like oh hey guys I, i'd really appreciate it if you could keep him supposedly it was oh i'm gonna wreck your relationships around the league if you fire him yeah that that's what the reporting so, was so don't let the door hit you on the way out i mean that is unforgivable from a from a perspective and i know jerry colangelo has this big reputation and and certainly this does not affect all of that but if you're going to put yourself on the line for your kid when he screws up, then you don't deserve to have a position of trust. No, I mean, that that would just, if he really threatened to do that, that would just be so incredibly weak. And it's just, I mean, whether it was Adam Silver, whether it was the Colangelo's angling in, I mean, it's frankly, given how they came to power, the fact that they have conducted themselves this poorly, as I mentioned this, right? Like if you had to pick an NBA general manager, uh, there's one other one who I won't name who, who would be on that list for me as well uh who is uh very media conscious and, and has rabbit ears as well but he would have been in the top two and probably the top one for like that this would have happened to and just the way they came to power w was and then the fact that it ended up being brian colangelo after you know the, the only other candidate interviewed was danny ferry uh, ironically enough another scandal play guy it's just frankly like i'm glad to see the back of these guys no arguments here but we have a lot of other news to get to the place i want to start this is just brief but from Albert Namad, who you and I both respect his work on this a lot, he is projecting the BRI to end up at about $7.1 billion, and that would mean the salary cap would go to $101 million, which is the estimate that the league has been using now for, I think, about a year. Yeah, and he also noted that the average number of playoff games is 84. There were 82 this year, so it should be right about the same level. We had a very short second round a long conference finals first round was about average and obviously the finals was short this is interesting uh justin termine or termine i'm sorry justin i don't pronounce your name correctly uh he spoke with kiki vandaway a few days ago and the nba will be experimenting with a challenge flag during summer league which they also uh has existed in the g league already and i really like that i like that better than some some of these other reviews i mean i'm not saying they should eliminate all the other reviews uh but i, I think that could help keep the game moving a little bit more it, it could also even just you know review just some completely ridiculous foul calls that could maybe get overturned in the last couple minutes i want to see what the implementation is and, and i uh, admit that i'm not that familiar with how they did it in the g league but i i'll be looking forward to that uh, for summer league although having to pay attention to the end of summer league games might be difficult um 
in Boston, Gordon Hayward had surgery to have hardware removed uh, from that ankle, and doesn't it? And he's you know he's expected to be ready for training camp. Blah blah doesn't seem like his rehab really went all that well right i mean you remember when it first happened like chef randolph was like oh yeah i had the same injury i was back and like i don't know what it was but it was like six months or something and people were talking about how he might be able to come back and denny ainge noted that in february he started going a little bit harder and had a little bit of a setback and now he's having the surgery which you know as far as i know that's not like supposed to be part of the plan that like oh yeah by the way you have a second surgery whenever you had this injury and so it sounds like something you know, there's some irritation or something they're swelling that was being caused by the hardware that it had to be removed uh so that's not encouraging it doesn't sound like his rehab has gone amazingly well but you know we'll see what he looks like next year obviously and as is true for every team but i mean considering their history we're gonna have to think about it boston's ceiling is going to be determined a lot by health i mean kyrie irving we'll have to see what's going on with his knee moving forward i don't worry as much about gordon hayward long term but you know the the longer things last on a positive injury news this was like a week ago but Woj reported that patrick beverly has been cleared to return to full basketball activities three months ahead of schedule he had microfracture and that's just absolutely fabulous news beverly a great competitor has this amazing structured contract still where he has a non-guarantee for next year and i thought the only way he was going to become a free agent would have been if like there was some sort of major setback so good to see him back that doesn't mean he'll necessarily be a clipper next year but he will be playing on that contract and i'm happy to have him back yeah his current guarantee date is later though i believe I, i think it might be let me double check this yeah his guarantee date is the league wide cut down date so there'd be no reason for the clippers to cut him uh unless they wanted to like use cap space or something like that that he was uh, and so worth noting also that if they want to trade him his salary would have to be guaranteed to count for anything uh or he could basically be traded for nothing as well uh so you know it's interesting to say that this is three months ahead of schedule i mean he had the surgery pretty early on in the season as i recall and you know you remember amari stottmeyer had microfracture back in 2005 and actually you know he ended up having to get shut down again for the season but he actually like came back like four months later so i think they've extended the timeline out a a little bit but yeah hopefully he will be healthy he's obviously had a, a number of knee issues uh Woj also reporting that the nuggets might use the 14th pick as a way to try and get off of kenneth farid's salary that seems like a pretty damn steep price if you're just talking about one year and like 13 million now maybe if they could get off of arthur as well that's something we talked about in their offseason preview uh or maybe they get something back in addition you know it doesn't mean it's just going to be a straight up swap there but you know that would be very early and also fitting with our feeling that you know the nuggets are not going to go into the season way way over the taxes they currently project to be uh if Jokic signs for the max or, or near the max and if that's the price that they're willing to pay or close to it then there is a group of teams that have money they could spend in both you know as cap space teams in 18 and 19 that could take on money then there's a separate group that like the suns that probably only want to spend money for this league year for the league year that is upcoming yeah they should just be fighting hard to try to make this deal if that's what they're going to do because other than mason plumley all of denver's bad money is expiring so if, they, if they're trying to unload it and they have that pick that's who you that's who you're talking to right now in detroit uh, with a regime change there they still are looking for an official general manager uh jeff bauer has parted ways uh, with detroit uh it seemed like Woj was kind of like doing bauer a solid by the number of times he was mentioning him and like saying that he was like still a candidate to be the gm and like since he was stan van gundy's handpicked gm that always seemed exceedingly unlikely uh, to me uh 
And then it's really odd here. You know, remember they brought in Ed Stefanski, who then brought in uh, noted NBA forward-thinking visionaries, Bernie Bickerstaff and Jim Lynham, to head up the coaching search. But they don't have a GM yet, do they? Like, uh, So they're going to bring in a coach before the GM that seemed to be making more progress with that. They're down to now Dwayne Casey. Uh, John Beeline of Michigan interviewed there, but uh, removed his name from consideration. Uh, Sarunas uh, Yasikevicus. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm blowing that, I know uh it's been a while yes so just, it uh, I'll, I'll just call him uh saras that's that's his nickname ime yudoka and uh gulp kenny smith are uh, the four candidates that it sounds like it's down to casey is an interesting case because he's owed over six million dollars by toronto this season and so presumably they would have to pay and they got to pay stan seven for this year already so yeah there's an offset but the reason that casey presumably is like well i don't have to work this year i mean i don't know that that he's gonna be like this will probably be his last job since he's in the 60s already i don't know that detroit is like some amazing destination but i'm not sure like other teams would be lining up next year and i think you noted that they don't project to be maybe as many openings the next offseason but it, it makes it interesting because if he's already getting paid six it's like well why would i take this now oh maybe because you're gonna pay me some big amount beyond this year and, you know, that could be an issue as well. But, yeah, the last team that hired the coach before the GM was Sacramento in 2013. And uh, that uh, didn't go too well. Speaking of Sacramento. Well, and wait, oh, wait. wasn't oh, that no, also the reigning coach of the year? What? No, when no, they no, hired no, George no, Carl. no, no, no. They, they hired Mike Malone. And then they fired Mike oh, Malone and they brought in Carl. That's right. That. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I was going to say, that would be a really weird parallel between those two yeah. circumstances. They hired Malone, and then they hired Pete D'Alessandro as the GM shortly thereafter. But I can't believe you messed up my transition to Sacramento, where I wanted to make sure you had the voice ready. <laughs> that uh, Iman Shumpert has opted into his $11 million player option for the 2018-19 season per Shamsirani of Yatu Sports. Um and much as it pains me to use that voice, A, after we just did a live show for three hours, and B, for uh, my fellow OPRF, Oak Park River Forest High School alum, Amon Shumpert, but uh, yeah, I don't think he was. I am hoping that he can play a little bit next year, whether it's for the Kings or somebody else, but... Yeah, I'd it'd be mean, nice if we'll he could resurrect his career. I mean, he basically just, I don't think he, if he played a minute for the Kings, I, I, I don't remember him getting on the floor much, if at all, he just was continuing to struggle with uh leg injuries in milwaukee the two sides the bucks and fox sports have agreed to a seven-year deal worth a little bit more than 200 million dollars per uh, sports business journal it starts at 26 million for the bucks rights next year and uh goes up four percent that's from a payout that was in the low 20 million dollar range last season i'm a little bit surprised actually that it that's as big as the increase is like the ratings were up they've got Giannis although you know they might not have Giannis two years from now we'll see but I, I mean I'm not sure when this deal would have been signed but you know the, the previous one but I'm, I'm surprised it's not more of an increase than that I mean and for Milwaukee maybe that's pretty good uh but this isn't some like oh break the bank the bucks have all this money now it's you know a couple million dollars a year increase uh which you know maybe we've seen a, for a lot of these franchises just the timing you know I, I think there was a time in 2013 2014 the lakers signed that enormous deal with uh time warner which is now spectrum sports and ad and then the national deal and and we haven't seen just these like blockbuster figures and the warriors they redid their deal back in like 2010 
they are getting very little in terms of local tv you know if that were on the free market right now you know that'd probably be like 75 million dollars or something like the speculation but i think they're i don't think they're getting like even 50 as point comcast is getting a, an amazing deal from them um so that that if that had been more maybe the bucks luxury tax would be easier to pay we'll see um what else we got here speaking of teams that are dealing with the luxury tax new orleans pelicans it was notable earlier in the i think it was in the off season they picked up alvin gentry's option for next season it is not a surprise that they on top of that negotiated a, a true extension and so now he is extended through the 2020-21 season per uh, team official release all right we'll be back momentarily here to talk a little trey young can't wait to get to this one i was very curious to see what was there with him but first this from omaha steaks we still got time before father's day to get an awesome omaha steaks father's day package for only 49.99 they deliver hand trimmed flash frozen and vacuum sealed meats directly to your door in an omaha steaks cooler got mine a couple of weeks ago they sent it uh, a little early for father's day but they wanted me to have a chance to try it out so i could talk about it to you guys and we went to a barbecue last weekend brought over a couple of the filet mignons a couple of the sirloins a couple of the hot dogs and uh definitely all that stuff was a big hit had a, a bunch of people try it just uh out of the goodness of my heart and also so i could talk about it and see if they liked it they did aside from the hot dogs the two filet mignons the two sirloins you get four chicken fried steaks which i have not had a chance to try yet but i'm certainly fired up for as soon as i can eat carbs again two boneless pork chops four all beef omaha steak burgers plus four more omaha steak burgers free with your purchase a pound of steakhouse fries 12 ounces of all beef meatballs which i really enjoyed and four caramel apple tartlets in addition to an omaha steak seasoning packet this limited time package is only 49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com at the very beginning just type in cap space in the search bar that'll take you right to that father's day package once again omahasteaks.com type that code cap space in the search bar to get this amazing deal don't wait this offer ends soon make sure you use that cap space code in the search bar let them know that you came from us all right i'm going to start this with a question on trey young why isn't trey young in contention to be the number one pick interesting interesting okay like i i want to hear the negatives first because i mean just uh, what he did statistically this year and a lot of what he put on film i mean was pretty damn impressive like like what what is the reason why we're not talking about him at the top of this draft with with the way that we know the modern nba game is and how big shooting and ball handling okay a couple of different things one one of the games i watched was against kansas state it was ended up being and i didn't know this at the time it was recommended to me as one to watch for him a game playing against I think his name is Brent Brown, who is the the point guard for Kansas State. He's a, a legit athlete. Like I, I I don't know if he's an NBA player. I didn't watch much K State this year, and he wasn't Trey Young wasn't creating as much separation. He was forcing some shots, and also when he played against Alabama's bigger, you know, they put bigs on him. He wasn't able to attack that in the same You're way. You're talking about and also switching. There's well, no, they didn't even switch. They just straight up put a six foot eight guy on okay. Trey Young for the second half of that game. He wasn't creating a ton of separation. And the other point for me is you're dealing in rarefied air here. I mean, one of the stats that I have, I have a couple of just ridiculous Trey Young stats, is that he had the number number eleven usage in the last decade at any level of uh, of, of Division One basketball. And when you think about all the small yeah. college guys that take a ton of shots, that's completely ridiculous. Yeah, but I, I, when on you look that at score. The, uh sportsreference.com tracks usage from mm-hmm. 2009-10 onward and his 37 percent usage is the second highest of any draft prospect since then jimmer Fredette, gulp 
Number eight. Uh, had 37.8% usage. Trey had 37.1. And then the other guys who were over 35% in terms of draft prospects, Doug McDermott, his senior year, 36. TJ Warren, 35 and a half. And Alan Williams, who's playing, uh, obviously, uh, at UCSB, a, a smaller school, 35%. So uh, among guys who played in high major conferences, he was uh, as the highest usage since uh, 2009-10 among draft prospects. And of the 100 highest usages... Trey Young was 16th in true shooting at 5.85, which is strong. I mean, you think about some of the other guys, like Alan Williams, his true shooting is going to be high because he did a lot of dunking back when he was a banana. Or, no, so he wasn't a banana, so like he was a gaucho. That's what Santa Barbara yes. is. I should know this. And so you have that. And then also, Trey Young attempted 10.3 three pointers per game. That is actually the same frequency that's in terms of attempts per game that Steph Curry did his sophomore year at Davidson. His junior year, Curry actually took fewer threes. And that gets into something that's, that's hard here. So again, you're dealing with rarefied air. Curry, those two years, sophomore year, 10.33s at 44%. Junior year, 9.939%. Redick was in the low 40s, and he was similar attempt rate, though Redick's offensive role was different than Trey Young's. And so the biggest reason for me that Trey Young isn't that level is that I don't think he's as good a shooter as those guys are. He's yes. very good, but I don't think he's that level. And that's one of the reasons, that's one knock against him, is maybe the ball just doesn't go in as much. You know, he shot 36% from downtown. Uh, the other reason, of course, is just that he's not athletic, right? Like, that's that's got to be the other reason, really. It just not quite quick enough. He'll get attacked defensively, you know. Uh, I mean, I, we haven't looked at all these guys yet, but it, you have to say that I, I think it'd be hard for me to find someone who has a higher offensive upside in this draft than him. And, and let's get to that shooting first. We, we can talk about that, right? I mean, this guy probably had the greenest light in major college basketball, maybe since like Pete Maravich was averaging 40 a game for LSU back in the late 60s. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, the 36% cleaning the glass had a, a great look at this. I'll add some other stats as well. So the, here's what cleaning the glass found about that 36. They looked at is 325 threes, which is just, that's an insane volume, right? Like, so, you know, we talk about guys like Justice Winslow, like, oh yeah, you shot 41% on like 50 attempts or something. This is like, uh, and you need 750 attempts to know whether a guy's a good three-point shooter. He got like half of that just in one college season. So... 241 of his 325 threes were from beyond the NBA arc. And this is, keep in mind, this guy's a freshman too. So he's younger than a lot of the guys that you're talking about. Uh, he was 33% on shots beyond the NBA arc. Of those 241, 102 of them came from 30 feet or more, six feet beyond the NBA line. I mean, you know, if you watch this guy in film, I'm sure most of our listeners have at least seen him, you know, some of these crazy shots that he hit. And of those 30 footers, he only was 26% on. And not only are those just like, a lot of those were like hard shots. Like he wasn't even like wide open on those either, you know? So his shot selection, you mentioned that crazy usage rate, dragged down his shooting percentage. So, and he took 78% of his threes off the dribble uh and it only hit 34 percent of those so there's certainly you say hey you know can this guy get himself good enough looks you know the shot selection was pretty crazy certainly like had steph curry not come along in the nba he wouldn't have been allowed to take those shots you know steph curry when he was at davidson was not taking shots of that were this ridiculous you know, he was working without the ball off screens a lot more as well but there's reason to believe that when he's open it's going to go in so on catch and shoots he had 81 points on 58 possessions. Awesome. Unguarded catch and shoots, 14 to 21. 
all those are threes 42 points on 21 possessions so he had a 100 e field goal percentage on unguarded catch and shoots pretty crazy that he only got 21 of those the entire season um and yeah go well ahead. other other people have to ball have to ball for you to get an unguarded catch and shoot yeah no and, and, and they didn't really have much other guard play as well i mean there's uh, part of that was why he he played the way that he did um and he basically you know he didn't when he was shooting those when he was coming off a of screen you know, he didn't really have much chance to shoot catch and shoot jumpers out of spot up situations either like he was nine out of 28 on those and that's probably just a lot of flaming bags uh off screens 11 out of 22 um so that's that's pretty decent too and then on handoffs 13 out of 25 so when he was getting shots off the ball the ball was really going in for him uh you know so there's some overlap in all those categories that i just mentioned um so that's a a reason to believe that if he's taking shots that aren't this ridiculous and he's not going to take those at the nba level they'll have enough other guys around him that the ball will go in anymore 86 percent free throw shooter that's great you know totally fine there uh so as a shooter i believe that he is going to be pretty awesome like it's uh, and that he can be a 40 percent three-point shooter and remember also he's only just a freshman here right like he, you could still get to be a better shooter we're talking about a well, freshman. And, and and so the other point i want to bring up with him as a shooter and this was what struck me and and on the positive side is very important his pull-up shot is like the mechanics of it are really impressive for a guy his age and the pull-up three is the definitive shot for point guards in the next 10 years and i mean we're we're talked about it a lot with donovan mitchell like donovan mitchell does a lot of things well if he gets that shot donovan mitchell can be an mvp candidate like trey young doesn't do the other stuff that donovan mitchell does but if you have that in your back pocket i mean that's really what makes damian lillard special steph curry obviously and if he can get into that conversation, we just haven't seen players with his kind of other with his kind of other positives and negatives have that kind of a shot. So there isn't really a parallel yeah. for Trey Young in the league, right? And David Locke will has a good point where it's like if the guy that you're comparing to is someone who's like, and I don't know how much I buy this, but it's an interesting point is just someone who's totally unique and transcendent that maybe that's a problem because that guy is is one of a kind you know curry or charles barkley or you know someone like that um so yeah i mean and and a lot of it is we've seen what steph curry has done just the incredible effect that he's had uh, on defenses and you know i don't believe that trey young is going to be as good as steph curry uh you know so but he wouldn't have to be to to, and i don't think he's going to be number one on my board but i i I thought it was an interesting way to start with the conversation of like with the production that this guy put up and he's actually you know the statistical translations don't hate him uh i haven't looked at all the models yet uh but kevin pelton's had him ranked number four overall so it's not like he's like you know looking bad on this on the statistical side so the other point if we're talking about positives that i think i want to bring up early is that my biggest surprise watching trey young footage as somebody who'd heard a lot about him was he was a is a much better passer than i anticipated his vision his unselfishness like i had i had heard that about him as a high school player and i remembered that it that came up but he was passing guys open he was finding guys in transition and there were there were a couple times where his uh, more than a couple times where his vision got him in a little bit of trouble where like he saw the pass and didn't really have the means that's actually something draymond green does a lot where draymond sees the pass and then it's like he can't really get it there at the right point but that's a much 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 better problem to have than the alternative and 
I was really impressed by that. The one kind of concern on his passing that I have is that because he's on the small side, yeah. he measured at the combine six a little bit under six two in shoes. I gained an appreciation for the Ben Simmonses and the LeBrons of the world because the angle of their passes even if they see the same thing, like even if Trey Young sees the same pass Ben Simmons would see, the angle of the pass just makes it a lot yeah. easier to defend because it has to go a little it higher, it's a air. little slower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and against NBA caliber athletes, that gives them time to recover unless you're really passing the guy open where like you, you're getting it to the cross court. Like LeBron throws a couple of those, but LeBron is also LeBron. So I was very impressed with his passing and I'm like, why isn't this as big of a story? Because he was wonderful at that and he wasn't asked to do it that much because he was... They know the kind of the teammates as I, when I was watching the the Oklahoma footage they they had, he had a nice catch and shoot big man along with him but he didn't really have as many opportunities as he will in a modern NBA where there's just so much offensive capability now because that's a mandatory part of the game. Yeah, I guess a, a few other notes on his passing. He did play with two big men who could go up and get alley oops. You mentioned that that pick and pop guy as well, and he, he that guy could actually go to alley oops too. They ran a lot of this set where that guy would look like he was going to go to a pick and pop and then get a back screen for for an alley-oop and young always put that on target he was a fantastic lob passer basically as soon if he got penetration as soon as the guy guarding the man the baseline took one step towards him the balls in the air for a dunk uh you mentioned he doesn't have the height to see over the defense i mean or, or the i think he actually sees that pass it's just it's tough for him to get it there when it when he's trapped um which he, he was a lot you know uh but i think on his penetration i thought he was really good one thing that he did a lot and you could say this is good or bad is you know he'd pick up his dribble and put two hands on the ball to try and find guys usually that would be when he'd drawn help or when he had two guys on the ball in a pick and roll situation he would make pass fakes he would but usually he would make a pretty good play in those situations uh and he would find shooters on the weak side when he had the passing angle that's the toughest pass to throw when you don't have the height necessarily um 115 of his 217 assists were actually in transition and uh he was fantastic at throwing like long hit ahead passes over the defense like if a guy got a step on his man he would throw it to him now young also averaged a staggering 5.2 turnovers per game and had an 18 percent turnover rate so that's that's pretty high even for college where there's there are a lot more turnovers overall uh you know that's that's not great he definitely tried a lot of stuff there's a lot of pressure on him to be sure uh and he also even you know he would be the inbounder a lot and he would throw these awesome inbound passes like all the way to the weak side to shooters uh, as well i mean he, he definitely has very very good vision and you know that's something that i believe will almost certainly translate i mean you you don't see these guys who average like eight assists in the ncaa like not not have that translate as far as being passed as long as they get the ball in their hands even you know going back to like a kendall marshall or something like that like even kendall marshall would average a lot of assists even though the rest of his game didn't work and then he tore the acl uh so i mean it is very rare that guys will put up a lot of assists in ncaa and have it not translate i, I can't think of any examples of that really uh, among high level prospects um the next thing i want to talk about is tra- his transition play and we've seen this with steph curry as well that when you can pull up and again you know this is all contingent on the ball has to actually go in uh but oklahoma was sixth in the nation among division one teams in possessions per game 78.8 so that's basically a pro pace which when you have a 30 second shot clock that's pretty impressive uh they had 
22% of their possessions occurred in transition per, per synergy. That was number two among major conference teams in D1 behind Creighton. And Trey Young was basically pushing all. They don't have anybody else who can even like dribble the ball up court, basically, on, on this team. Like they outlet the ball to him every single time. They didn't have grab and go guys. Uh, now, worth noting that they weren't, weren't like a dominant offense this year. They only were 56th in Division One uh, in points per possession overall. 77th in points per possession in transition, but they got a lot of in transition, so that pushed up. Uh, they're 88th in the half court, and you know, for those who don't know, there's like 300. But this guy, we already talked about the hit ahead passes, and he gets guys to run and run hard, drag screens 40 feet from the hoop. You know, just it changes the angle so much when a guy has a head of steam, you have to pick him up almost at the half court line. You know, he's just sowing the same sort of issues in transition and nba teams are much better equipped with the shooters that they have with the spacing in the nba to take advantage of sowing chaos in transition even more i mean he is just steph curry you know surprisingly enough to me is one of the best transition players in the nba despite the fact that he doesn't like put a ton of pressure on the rim because he'll push the ball up and then off the ball as well i mean you just got to run to the guy in transition so you know much was talked about with lonzo ball last year of like oh man this guy is gonna like totally transform a team in transition and the lakers did run pretty well and, and you know he'll do the hit ahead passes like, like lonzo ball did a good job in transition this year but trey young to me is going to give you so many more transition opportunities when he's fully formed than even Alonzo Ball because he just has to be guarded immediately and is this great off-the-dribble shooter and just is going to sow so much trouble when you have to pick him up 35 feet from the basket in transition or you got to be totally aware of him when he's running off the ball. And, and that's another thing I like about him just in general is like he didn't play off the ball here, but you know his fit as a point guard is really good offensively. He can play off the ball as well as such a good shooter. So uh, that's probably, I think, the thing, kind of the the transition and then just, you know, the fact that in theory you're going to have to double team this guy away from the basket. Um, you know, he's probably going to be switchable, which is an issue. But, I mean, being able to get a switch against most NBA teams is pretty good. So I, I think just, and maybe the shot doesn't go in. You know, I, I don't know that for sure, that he's going to be able to shoot the ball you know, and he's not going to be as good as Steph Curry. Like, no, no one's as good as Steph Curry. He's got, we'll talk more about his finishing and stuff like that. But just in terms of like all this, like, oh, you know, we're going to have like these big guys be number one. And it's like, this guy is the modern NBA. Like, you, you are not learning the lesson of what actually wins on offense and like why Steph Curry is good to not see like what this guy's potential is. Again, I'm not sure, certain. There's a lot of uncertainty with him. You know, these are, we're talking about like, you know, one or two of a kind players here. But if that jump shot goes in, even with some of the other limitations we talked about, I mean, he's just going to be awesome offensively. Like he's going to be a very good offense player. You brought it up a little bit, but the finishing is a concern. The number that I saw was 51% shooting at the rim. That's pretty damn far from great. Like the guy that I kind of thought about there was around, was Dennis Schroeder. You know, where that's about, you know, kind of the finisher. And Dennis Schroeder is a way better athlete than Trey Young is. Now you can make an argument that having better spacing, play, you know, some of those lineups that'll come out there, better schemes and all that can, can bump that number up a little bit. But also Young, I, I think with his frame and everything, it'll, he'll have to get a lot of craft to get to you know, solid or above average as a finisher. He can be a productive offensive player without it, but that is a concern. And I, a lot of the fouls that I saw him draw were, were you've called them college fouls before, where it's like you drive into the lane and you fall down. And so they just, well, oh, that's a let foul. Me, let me actually push back on that just a little bit. I think that he, a lot of the fouls that he drew, he was like next level in terms of like, you know, you don't see guys in college like draw the same kind of bullshit fouls that guys in the NBA draw. Like, and he actually was 
pretty good at creating contact like you know feeling the contact and throwing something up and getting a call or like going up through guys arms for three three shot fouls like guys in college don't do that really you know for, for to my knowledge i don't watch that much college basketball just you know to see some rando like junior from kansas state or something but generally when we've looked at prospects we haven't seen them have that that type of game and he, he averaged 8.5 free throw attempts a game which is you know again he was had this crazy usage so maybe that's not as great but you know that's a lot of free throws and you know he shot it at the 86 percent clip some of them were college fouls to be sure but i thought that he he actually like was pretty good at call seeking behavior which for a college freshman like you don't see that i'll grant you some of that uh, something else that i'm a little bit concerned on with young in and this also might well, be the uh, same are you going to talk about the finishing so I, I, I add a little more on that um oh you can you can go to that it was it's yeah. it's tied in but it can be a separate point well so he doesn't have a ton of craft finishing right i mean if you talk about steve nash steph curry both those guys have a little more size than young similar to wingspan young's about six three wingspan same as curry curry is faster at least certainly now you know curry has worked on his athleticism a lot i don't want to preclude that from young but like steph steph curry i, I don't see young just watching him out there as like you know a guy who can go up and like in an empty gym like throw down some nice dunks the way steph curry used to be able to still can to some degree you know he doesn't quite have the same quickness he doesn't have the same alacrity to his handle as steph does now you know back then the stuff was and that's where i was going right yeah yeah so i i mean it's uh the finishing of the room you know he doesn't have great kind of like hook shots and off foot finishes um but he has a really nice floater game um he doesn't release it that high you know and that's the same thing with his jump shot too let's talk about the versatility of his jump shot a little bit but out of pick and roll 35 points on 23 possessions on floaters 16 out of 22 on floaters out of pick and roll now he only had 60 points on 62 possessions total on floaters but a lot of those were plays where he just kind of got in the lane he he didn't really beat his own man he had to force it up over somebody when he actually like can get open on a floater which you know in a normal pick and roll coverage you would expect he'd be able to do it was money like he was you know 22 is not that many shots but it really looked good like you could tell when he was being contested on the floater no it didn't look as good but uh when he was kind of had a good look at a floater if the big was back he it looked really really good and he also his operation in pick and roll it's not amazing you know his handle like could be tighter but he showed some ability to get the guy on his back again like have the guy run up his back and draw a foul call that way like he's pretty good pick and roll operation but you know you you were gonna move on to something about like him improving his handle i guess well i i just didn't i didn't think he had a lot of of shiftiness i think a lot of it is based on the respect for his jump shot and the other thing i didn't see a ton of burst from him with the ball in his hands in half court setting you know obviously in transition he can take advantage of the space that's in front of him and in the nba that can be an absolutely massive difference maker whether you're a good shooter or a bad shooter and he can get better at that you know getting more confidence in his handle a lot of guys that's one area that gets underappreciated in terms of improvement that can get made but like for example i watched the game that he played against colin sexton and not necessarily when they were guarding each other but just seeing those two playing on opposite ends of the floor i'd be like it sexton just jumped off the page in those settings a lot more and it's like oh yeah that's that's what an nba caliber first step looks like yeah no i mean there have been point guards you know steve nash didn't have an amazing first step i don't know that stuff even has an amazing first step um i do worry about he doesn't really have any kind of ability to rise up for a two-point jumper 
um you know his release is very low it starts even lower than curry's does like uh, around his waist um and just his well he has uh, part of that's mitigated by the floater like he's got floater range out to like 17 feet but yeah i mean the ability to as an iso player it's pretty tough for him like i mean he's really got to create separation at the three-point line guys with length are going to give him problem in an iso like if you have a team that's a good switching team you know if we get late into the playoffs for example i'm not sure that he's going to be able to create the same type of separation uh and to beat guys one-on-one but against most of the nba you know he can do just fine against like a jonas valanciunas on the perimeter or someone like that so you're you're probably gonna in pick and roll be able to force a trap or he'll be able to get a decent look at a shot coming off conventional pick and roll defense he does have some pretty good creative moves like i saw him do a sham god he had this like crazy behind the back move where he picked the ball up and brought it behind his back as he was picking it up and took a shot at the end of the half against tcu so i think like he's got a lot of creativity you know a lot of it's going to be confidence for him a lot of it's going to be given a decent rope to develop you know because remember again you know when steve nash took a while really to become steve nash and he played four years in college i believe curry played three years in college and then you know so is much more of a developed player he's going to have a lot more growing pains even if he eventually can be talked about in the same breath as those guys which again you know the, the odds are against that the odds are against any draft prospect being that good but uh you know, but he does have a lot of creativity to his moves and i think he just loves playing basketball loves coming up with moves and, and, and ways to get better so I, I think you know especially as a finisher i, I expect him to get better and same thing as a dribbler. Something else on the physicality front that was really prevalent in the Alabama game. So I said they had Herb Lewis, who was bigger. I think he was like six, 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 seven on him a lot. And something Alabama started doing in the second half of that game was ball denying him when Trey Young passed off. And I, I don't think it was necessarily an effort-based thing a lot of the time, but it, it was a very effective strategy. You know, so I, at certain points he was trying and just couldn't really create separation. And so in the NBA, you have to be really, really good to have a team actually execute that other than in a playoff series. I mean, we saw James Harden is can be effectively ball denied, and yet it, it it's only reared its head in a couple of series over his entire career. So it's not a big concern, but it just kind of gets into one of the risks with him is just the gigantic athleticism jump that happens at every position and yeah. just how that how that affects his ability to create quality looks not only for himself but also for other people because the separation that you create doesn't always have to become a basket for that player unless you're Jordan Clarkson it can become an assist it can become a, a one player turning his head so that another player can get a back cut it can be all sorts of other things and so the definitive part for me with Trey Young is the pull-up jump shot I think that will determine his career but the amount of separation that he can create and how much attention he draws with everything, including but largely other than the jump shot, is a, a kind of a big question for me. That's not a question that's a, a negative necessarily. It's just something that I'm not sure of. And so that makes it harder to, to sell him as a, you know, as a lock, as a locked in big offensive player. It doesn't hurt a ceiling because he can solve those problems. He just, without knowing it, it creates risk. Yeah, and it could well be that he is just overwhelmed by NBA athleticism. But I expect him to have like kind of a rough rookie year, I think, because it's just, you know, even if you're playing conventional pick and roll defense, just putting a guy on him who has good length, who can fight over a screen, you know, he's going to be on some bad team that doesn't have a great offensive system. You know, he's not going to be have the off-ball magic that the Warriors have developed over years and years. And, you know, I think he's going to take a lot of very deep threes and maybe they just won't go in quite as much because he just has to rush it a little more. On the other hand, you know, he had to take so many bad shots at Oklahoma 
you could say well he's going to be freed up from having to take as many of those and maybe he can be a little bit more efficient and he might actually get like an open shot every once in a while that someone else sets up for him a lot of it's really going to depend on how much freedom he's given where he ends up what the quality of coaching is the quality offense system and then let's talk a little bit about his defense obviously the tools are are, are not great now you know you're you're laughing he had what one point i want to say why yeah okay he was and i went back and watched dedicated film on this because i wanted to watch it he is one of the worst transition defenders of any lottery level talent i've ever seen he like there were certain plays where he did something that you almost never see a good player do where he moved out of the way of somebody who was driving the lane when he was the lead defender and just let that guy have a layup. And it wasn't like he was in foul trouble or anything like that. There were times when he tried and when he was figured out what the other team was doing where he was in the right place, but there would be these just super weird give-ups from him that were very concerning to me for a player who has the facility that you she shows on the offensive end like are you talking about like if he's just like the guy back on a transition break or something like that yes or like so sometimes he would be like he would be in position to be the guy back on the break and then he would just stop and just be like man i'm okay like I, I watched i think i watched something like 60 transition defensive possessions for him because i got kind of obsessed with this and i think it'll be better with coaching and accountability because he's you know he was shouldering we talked about the historic offensive burden he had but there were times where i'm just sitting there going you could be doing a little bit more and it would be making a big difference and that combined with the physical limitations that he has like kind of it, it built a little bit for me like i don't think he's i don't think he's like a a, a destined to be a sieve forever but it's kind of like you know how is he going to respond to that as an overall thing because it's not like oklahoma was you know this moribund team like lsu and washington remember markel fultz and ben simmons were both awful defensively i think both of those guys were worse defensively in their you know in their college tenures than trey young was yeah i'd agree with that. but but they had better physical tools than trey young does and so there was an expectation that they could, you know, that especially the effort-based part of it. So I think Trey Young can be an okay defender at the next level, but I saw some things that really bothered me. And he's going to be a defensive negative. Uh, um, now, again, you know, we're, he's a guy who, and we'll say this for so many of the prospects, I think sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad that around draft time when we watch all our film, we've just finished watching the playoffs. I think it's good in some ways because it's like, all right, this is what, basketball is like at the highest levels you're really talking about a guy who's going to be a superstar and defensively like offensively you know i think he could struggle against the absolute best competition uh you know in isolations he wasn't just like totally giving up you know he was in a stance but he opened up his stance very easily he could be overpowered obviously in only ways a buck 78 uh there were teams that definitely would try to like get the switch and let and go one-on-one against him uh but i thought that he tried i would say that if i had to compare his effort level and intelligence to your average like star freshman point guard i would say that he was actually you know a little bit better than average you know i think he, he did a decent job trying to execute certainly there were lapses uh this transition defense thing i'm i, I uh I'll leave that to you. I don't really have a comment on that, uh, but I'm not that worried if a point guard is like not stopping a one-on-one transition break. Uh, with his lack of length, I think he is really going to struggle to contest jump shots. And, you know, he's not really quick enough to get into guys so much that they can't get the shot off. Like they're able to get separation on him and then just shoot right over the top. I think, you know, 
and especially if he gets switched on to someone which we're going to see quite a bit here so you know he's going to get attacked for sure you know he's got a decent steal rate but the tools are not good i mean he's going to end up being a below average defensive point guard uh, the question is just you know can he make up for that with smarts and effort and 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 we'll see you know i i I don't expect him to be a good defender. Now, is he going to just kill you by not trying and not executing? I, I am hopeful that he won't do that, that, that he can at least execute. And, you know, there, there's a lot of bad defensive point guards. It is not catastrophic at any level other than, like, let's say the conference finals or or beyond at that point yeah that could be it could be a big problem i mean we saw how good the best teams are now at attacking it and if you think about trey young you don't want to necessarily go well where's the league right now you want to think where's the league going to be in four or five years because that's more of when the yeah his well apparently everyone's to... going to have a bunch of big men judging by the top of this draft <laughs> yeah they'll have they'll have a bunch of talented big men playing like 20 to 25 minutes a game but yeah I, i'm going to be very interested to see kind of how he fits in with that and young is is what what I find so fascinating about him is kind of kind of going back more to get into the overall overall points with him is he has one of the highest ceilings for a player who has a floor that I'm very uncomfortable with. So they're like there are a lot of guys that have high ceilings and low floors, but it's like with him, I I, I wrote about this once for Real GM, but it's like this idea of like, well, what if it doesn't work? Like, what if the main thing he does doesn't work? And so I think that there you know that it there could be that real downside with him. And that is, is is worth considering. But then at the same point, you're sitting there going, you know, and I've watched some of the film of the other guys. You're like, well, shit, but what if it does work? Yeah, yeah. And that's a big part of my thinking as well. And I mean, I'll tell you what, actually, I started this analysis kind of biased against him. You know, and, and I tried to think of like why that was, you know, it's just part of it was just, well, there can't be another Steph Curry. Part of it was, and I think probably the biggest thing that surprised me was the passing vision. Um, part of it was just, we want to like not believe in these like crazy college performance guys right like jimmer fredette is a perfect example you know jimmer was 22 when he was drafted and he was a lot less athletic than trey young and a lot worse passer and trey is probably a better shooter than certainly has more quickness and more ability to get his own shot etc uh but there is this feeling you know or adam morrison or like it's just like oh this guy's overhyped if he's that good in college it's like you have to be on kentucky and kind of like have this raw potential that it's like oh once you once you get out of the college system you're gonna really blossom in the nba whereas you know it's harder to make that argument with young because he he obviously uh had the greenest of green lights and everything was being run through him and he was playing about his nba style of basketball as you can possibly play at the college level and you could argue that the green light really hurt his overall efficiency because he took some mind-blowingly terrible shots. Yeah. And that, you know, it was kind of the nature of the beast. And I remember there was one that that stuck out to me. It was, I, I think it was just in the random film I was watching. And it was, I think it was a minute 45 was left in overtime and it was a tie game. And Young just pulls from like 30 feet with 22 on the shot clock. Yeah, they were down four in overtime with 145 left and he shot a 30 footer with 22 seconds. I was just saying, you're going, what? But at the same well, point, and the, these are like contested too. Like it's not even yeah, like, oh, you bet you're going to back off of me. Like he'd shoot like these fadeaways. I mean, there's some crazy shit. Like, well, and, and yeah. And I alluded to this on the on the Twitter show when we were we kind of teased that we were going to talk about him of when Steph Curry misses it looks sometimes it looks so bad because it's like hanging in the air for a while the nature of the shot you know the confidence and everything like that and when Trey Young had those nights when it's not falling I, I think that was how the Kansas State game was it 
it looks awful. Like it, it's kind of the understated part of this three point variance is that you can have those games that are just so deflating, like the Rockets missing 25 threes in a row. But the hope is that he's going to get better opportunities. And I expect that he will so that you, you can rely more on the foundation of his catch and shoot more on the easier pull-ups rather than those like, oh no, I'm just going to take it from like 32 feet. Yeah. And he still has his passing to fall back on as well. It's sure. just, it's just going to be so interesting of like, do NBA teams need to play him? Like, oh, we're going to trap this guy in the pick and roll. Like, is that, is he going to be that level of player? Do you, are you going to have to respect him that far out? Is he going to sow that chaos in transition? You know, that that's the big question. But I mean, the fact that I think he has the potential to do that is pretty crazy. And, you know, I mean, like we said, maybe the ball just doesn't go in for him or maybe just the amount of length just you know cause him to lose confidence and he just can never adjust and but I, you know i i think it's more likely than not that he ends up being pretty good uh and so i i'm i'm probably more interested to see how he turns out in the nba than you know just about anyone that i've seen it in in a long time um and i certainly enjoyed watching him and i hope that that he ends up being a pretty good player oh so that's how i think how i want to end this is this fascinating juxtaposition with the two players that we've watched a lot of film on and done so far. Trey Young, who is just such a natural fit for, on the best case scenario, we're close to it. You know, like, let's say... 60% 60% and above. Yeah. For, for team where the building, NBA is going. And just for team building, it's so easy to build around him. I mean, you have to play a lot of high pick and roll probably. And like, you know, he takes a lot of shots, but he can shoot the ball. And it's like, when guys can shoot like that, you know, most of these point guards, it's like, okay, they got to have the ball in their hands. And if they don't, they're not really that great of shooters. So it's like, this guy damn well better be awesome. Uh, you know, So there is a way that he can succeed. Even if he's not like a superstar, he can still be, you know, a point guard that you can kind of fit in other guys around reasonably well. Right. And so you compare him to Marvin Bagley, who is a world's better, you know, run jump athlete, but doesn't really have a niche, doesn't really have a position defensively in the league. And so a lot of it is going to be about surrounding talent, coaching scheme and all that. But the, the comparison between those two guys as being where we started is just fascinating for me. Yeah, well, I can't wait to get to the rest of these guys. We'll, we're going to really lock in now that the finals are over and hopefully be doing, you know, one of these every other day or so, maybe even more than that. Draft's coming up, though. I mean, what do we got? We got, like, uh, 13 days before the draft. So hopefully we can get, like, six, seven, or eight prospects in here between now and then. And uh, we might have to do, like, slightly more truncated version of some of the kind of... But, uh, wow, we've been doing this raw recording time for an hour and 37 minutes. Let's uh, wrap this up here. Anything you got to talk about before we go? So I'll... It sounds like my off-season preview for the Sacramento Kings is going to come out on Saturday at The Athletic. I It was submitted, but, you know, there was a lot that was going on today, so I understand that. Yeah. I Rolling will have into the off-season cards. strong here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, then... I'll have a bunch of those coming out over the next little while. Most of them are done. I'm going to be writing the Cavs and the Warriors this weekend, and we'll be talking about them pretty soon on Dunked On. And then report cards for Game 4 will be at The Athletic, and I'll probably do some big picture piece over the next couple of days. Thankfully, I do not have the night of responsibilities now with all of our other capable people, but there'll be something and I'll figure out what angle makes the most. Sense. And thanks to Sonos for sponsoring today's program. You can control music with your voice with the Sonos One. You can even have someone set up your Sonos speakers for free if you live in any major metropolitan area. Order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout and get 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com when you use the promo code DUNK10. That's D-U-N-C-1-0. 
at sonos.com this offer available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions once again that's dunk 10 d-u-n-c-1-0 use that dunk 10 code let them know that you came from us at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.